brought to you by Soul Fire Productions. Hello and welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. This podcast is an offering for all women to gather energetically, sister to sister, mother to mother, to co-create a sacred space for healing, educating, and sharing as we journey through motherhood and womanhood. It is such an incredibly powerful moment in time to be a woman, and I thank you for showing up on behalf of yourself and for all of the women in your lives, past, present, and future, to honor our matriarchal lines, all who came before and all who will come after. J-Ma. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am your host, McLean McGowan, host McLean. And I have an honor of interviewing again, Olivia Barham, who is a beloved friend and mentor of mine. She was on episode 18 of the Mother the Mother podcast. That episode is called Death Becomes Her, Conscious Dying and the Art of Death Midwifery. She's an incredible resource and someone that changed in many ways the trajectory of my life and also how I live my life because she helped me to fully embrace and honor and learn on a deeper level about my own death and my relationship with death in general. And I so wanted to have her back on the podcast and we'll have her again more, but I wanted her, especially during this portal of time, because in small and big ways, each one of us are experiencing death and loss and transmutation on a daily, if not hourly basis. And there is courage and bravery in knowing how to move and flow through this time. So I'm so grateful for her that she was able to take the time and be with me today, be with us. And she has a brand new training coming up. It'll be virtually online September 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. And the information will be in the show notes. She is Sacred Crossing on Instagram. And also that is her website, Sacred Crossing. And if you are wanting a little bit more support within the Delft realms, this is a really great intro point, whether you're ever going to use it for work or your career um, or not. It's a really great thing for every human to take this course. And I have used it more on a personal level than with my work, but I also for sure use what I've learned with her in my work um, as a doula and a motherhood coach, et cetera, et cetera. So if you have any questions, please reach out to me. If you have any questions about doing her program, it's very low commitment. She has three tiers of her training. This is the first one called Enter the Grave. But um, a couple of my friends have signed up because now feels like a really great time to delve deeper into this topic. And sending love out to all of you always. Keep up and you will be kept up. We are in this together. We are figuring this out as we go. And there is so much beauty that is floating to the top if we can just slow down enough and witness it without having to judge it. Sending much love, J-Ma. Hi, Olivia. Hi, McLean. So good to be with you virtually. <laughs> As we were just saying, you know, we wish we could be in person right now and it's always better in person, but this is better than nothing, so. It's great to see you. Thank you. Yes, it is better than nothing, but I, I too do not. It is not my preference. Yeah. I like either. to see people and hold people. And that's yeah. the way I can read them. Yeah. So just diving in, uh, such an intense time. Obviously, we're in such a portal of awakening and change. And you were just saying such gems before we started recording of how for you personally, and then also communally, just how this is almost a minute by minute, hour by hour practice of meeting our death. And you even were saying of living in the grave right now. Can you um, bring a little bit of clarity to that? Well, yes, I'll try. Um, although I have to say that every single day I am 
I feel like I'm expanding, growing in my own awareness and understanding of things. And it's constantly changing as, as this incredible gift that we've been invited to unwrap with COVID. And, and I do believe that's why she, I call her she, because I, mm. I think my, my feeling is that she's, I see her as this um, almost like a wisp, a silent, like a very wispy mist that's pervading all over the planet and it and she is beautiful and she's quiet and she's gentle and she doesn't mean to cause the mayhem and the pain and suffering but that unfortunately is the sacrifice if you will for the whole of us the the collective to make this incredible shift or the shift I think is used way too much but um it, it's more of a so so humanity can become more and and expand because not there yet. I would have thought if I had six months off, if you will, from distractions and being busy and racing around and trying to do things. And I think many of us are saying, "Wow, if I had three months off, let alone six months off, I would feel so much better." And yet we're not really because we've only just begun to to relax and to let her have her this space if you will have its way with us which i think is exactly what happens when we're in our dying days Um, there's a lot of scrambling when we first become aware a lot of clutching and wishing it wasn't and bargaining and all of that and then it's not until we begin to completely accept it that we can relax and then then the gems occur for us that's when we can do the deep healing work just when we're in the last few weeks and months of this life um and that's what's happening now i think humanity as it was and our society as it was and most of our cultures are dying mm-hmm. and they had to die because it wasn't working we were not sustaining ourselves. It was disastrous. And this is just the breakup. This is, this is what it takes as we dismantle what doesn't work. And it's excruciating. And yet those moments where I, I can dip into that space that it's heaven. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so poignant of it's not something – I mean, when I look back at the beginning of this, you know, it was so – such a different experience as what I'm feeling it is today, six months later. Um, you know, I still think we're figuring out really what is happening and, you know, what the numbers are and what everything means. It's still all up in the air a bit, but it's so, it was so jarring when it hit in March um, here in America. I mean, it just felt completely out of left field. And then now it's, still the structures are just falling and falling and falling and falling. And I think it's going to be at least another six months and it'll probably be a couple of years as we then figure out how to rise up and we've moved states or cities or completely changed careers or not working anymore. I mean, there's just so much in each person's life they're going through right now. And yeah, I, I agree. I think it is going to take at least six months or, or, and it's never going to, it's not like it's going to all of a sudden stop and then we're back to normal. Right. It's, then it's going to be years and years to establish who am I now? Who, where are we now? Which is one of the questions that comes up in Enter the Grave um, when these huge changes occur in your life. Like, oh my God, I'm dying. The question is, who am I now? Who am I now that I'm not um, this job that I was, this career that I was, this active parent, if that's what you were? Um, and and allowing us to be informed by what's trying to come through. And I think something huge is trying to come through, mm-hmm. and we're not going to hear it unless we're quiet. So we have to stay home. We have to learn how to be in these long spaces of nothingness so that we can hear that the inner, the inner intelligence of, of what it is we need to do next. And it's very frustrating. Nobody wants to be in uncertainty. It's a horrible place to be. 
we're programmed yes. to make a plan and know what's going to happen and feel excited about getting on board with our plan, but mm-hmm. that's not what it's about anymore. Um, no, it's really interesting, as, especially as we go into the fall as parents trying to figure out the schooling or the non-schooling or the virtual schooling or the homeschooling and figuring out these plans, which then the parents' work is riding on those answers, you know, and it's just, it's a very interesting moment to be doing all of this. And Mm. it was so interesting last night because I flew back with my girls from Tennessee where I'd been for three months and really had done a lot of work in the past couple of days to kind of gird myself, like have my shield up, like, okay, I'm going back to LA. I'm, I've got to just really stay in my little bubble as much as possible. And when we were landing and I was looking out over Los Angeles, it was, it just dawned on me, like the next little bit is just going to feel like I'm in a movie. It's just going to be a movie. And each day is going to be a new thing that I don't truly know the outcome. And I really don't know what's happening. I don't know if I'm coming back to work with clients. I don't know what my schedule is with my, you know, homeschooling with my kids. Um, but it was almost like this out of body of like, that's how I'm going to get through these next, next six months or three months is just really witnessing and not being attached and just, Oh, that's interesting today. It looks like this. That's interesting today. looks like this. And there is a death. Like I do feel like I've had many little deaths over this six month time of who am I? Who's McLean? Who am I in this world? Who am I in this partnership, this marriage as a mother, as a daughter? You know, I just was with my mom for three months. And that is interesting because I feel like when you go back home, you know, your kid stuff kind of reemerges too. anything <laughs> that needs to be under attention. So just interesting. And that's why I just, I think of you almost every day because I just think I'm a different person than I was when all this started. And I, I may look absolutely the same to other people and feel the same, but I feel like I'm new. I'm different because I've, I've shed so many things energetically. Yeah, I think that's what, that's exactly where we're all at. And, and maybe we don't particularly like the new one that we are um, because he or she is, is not defined. It, it doesn't have a persona like it did before. We spent our whole life creating this persona, this, this idea of who we thought we were, who we wanted to be, and now that's not. So the, the new is very unfamiliar. That's the most – I wake up some mornings and I just don't – I don't feel like myself and I don't not like it. I think, wow, okay. It's if I can lean towards the excitement, which is what I encourage people who are dying to do, you can either sway to the left and be in fear or or bend to the right and be in that state of um, excitement. They're both on the same frequency. Um, then it's like, oh, okay, then I don't mind what happens, which is the other um, place that I encourage people to get to is, is, and the mantra is I, I don't mind what happens mm. was something Krishnamurti said when um, when somebody asked him what, what is what, what, how, how are you managing to stay so peaceful amid so much turmoil and he said um, well my answer is that I, I don't mind what happens wow. and I think that's a beautiful thing to remember. It's not that you don't care what happens, you know, because I think we do all deeply care that people are suffering and um, there's so much hardship. But if you don't mind, that that's a very subtle difference. It's like the mind isn't coming in and wanting to fix it or change it or make a story about it. It's just becoming the witness and allowing it to flow through. And I think that's, what we're being asked to do right now is to get to that place where we can honestly say, I don't mind what happens, whatever it is, I'm going to face it with grace. Um, It's going to be the next thing that I'm going to be able to respond to and therefore hopefully expand in my awareness and my, my capacity to receive. Um, That's so beautiful. And I love that too, because the, it's saying mind and, and, we so often attract and 
get almost obsessed with the things we don't want to happen, the fear as it comes in, we're, we're bringing our mind to it. But when we really can not think and just be with the what is, that's when we flow. And yeah. generally we're happier. Yeah. So how are you, how are you? Because for me, I, you know, you live this work and I, I know in our training and when you were on the last episode for anyone that hasn't yet listened, episode 18, you have shared that your morning practice is your meditation to be okay with death, to get to a place each day where you kind of prepare for your day with if it's ending soon or ending that you are at peace with that. And I think that's such a beautiful meditation. Are you still able to do that through this time or has that been called up in a different way for you? Oh, it's definitely being called up because death is happening every three seconds now. Nothing's the same anymore. Death of able yeah. to talk to people, death of you know, going to the hair salon and everything is, yeah. is death right now. And so I don't really need to even think about dying in the physical anymore because it, it's moved into the day-to-day world, which I think is a great thing. Um, and it, I, I just remember the, the other the other saying that I try to help people open to in the class is, is I, the question, is everything okay right now? Mm. And as soon as I ask myself that, I can come back from, yeah, but what if, and how am I going to, and turning on the news, don't do any of that and ask that question. Everything is okay right now. It always is, no matter what we're dealing with. Mm. Uh, and that's a, a wonderful tool to help me just get present. Everything's okay right now. I'm going to make my breakfast mm-hmm. and I can walk to the grocery store and everything's okay right now. Everyone's wearing a mask, but everything's okay. So it's, it's doing that every five seconds if you need. That's beautiful. I love that. I'm going to start using that because it, it just immediately drops you into your body and into the present moment. Such a good thing to do with kids too, regardless of COVID, of just getting back to the present moment of what is actually important with your kids. Yes, I think this is particularly one of the wonderful things that is happening perhaps is the, is the collapse of the education system as we have built it. Agreed. And we've decided some, on some wildly um, inappropriate collective that sitting in desks and listening to a formula is somehow the best optimal way to help a child grow. It's clearly not. And maybe the only way to bring it to its knees was this. And I'm so happy that so many people are forming these little pods and, yeah. and they begin to de-school the children. Um, I had a friend who started her own school and she did, you know, she advises every child who comes to, to take a whole year to the D school from the system. And that's how long it takes. So I wouldn't rush into trying to set up a schedule for your kids and make them stick to it because the last thing we want to do is to create another one of what didn't work. Exactly. And, yeah. We, we need to base it on freedom yeah. and trust that the child will ask you what they're interested in and then wait until that happens. Yeah. I I think that's what COVID is doing. She's inviting us to to go to a very deep place of trust within ourselves, that that we have everything we need inside. Um, Yeah, like when did that become a thing where parents didn't know enough to teach their children, you know, and like growing vegetables and cooking and learning how to, live on your own land, you know, all of these very basic things that we're going back to. I mean, look at the sourdough baking bread during COVID, you know, it's like the basics. We're going back to basics because we're being forced to, but there's so much beauty in it. Yeah. And, and if you wait, the, the child, a ladybird, I mean, I was playing with my granddaughter and a ladybird landed on her and she went, oh, look at that. And when we counted the spots and then you, if you don't know, you just go, let's go to YouTube. And yeah. somebody's made a video, a five second video on the life cycle of ladybirds. And before you know it, your five-year-old has, has now understands that. And then they get to draw it. And yeah. so very, you don't need a curriculum. You don't, you don't, you really don't. And if you do want a curriculum, there's a thousand, you know, thousands to choose from that are amazing, that are free too. I mean, there's, there's so many resources. I'm actually very excited about it. Mm-hmm. And this morning it was so cute because Jemima, we were 
like I was saying, we did this huge organizational thing today, which I'm sure is just getting back into my space and nesting and having the control that I have, you know, right now, but it felt really good to get organized. But then she took a break. She went and laid on her bunk bed and read for maybe 40 minutes. And then she came in the room and she said, when, when we're homeschooling, if I'm really sleepy, can I just have a rest when I really need it? And I'm, I said, yes, you can, you know, and how awesome is that? You can go to the bathroom whenever you need to. You can get a snack whenever you need to. And I'm really so looking forward to that aspect of it, the freedom and for her mm-hmm. to be owning her flow throughout the day and her rhythm and her body. And I think it's really important. I do too. I, I, I'm really, I'm really happy for how this can work. I wish the, those parents who are afraid and they're moving into this with so much trepidation, I wish those people on the TV or wherever it is they go to that was constantly reassuring them. It's like, you've got this. Yeah. Like I say to people who are dying, you've got this. You know exactly what to do. And then they go, no, you tell me. And I'm like, no, I don't know for you. I only know how yeah. to stay present enough and listen to the inner knowing. But you, you, you can do this. And that's what we're being asked to do now. Every parent knows exactly how to do it. Because yeah. they know their child. They yeah. know exactly the timing, how, what, what they're curious about. And as long as they keep presenting it and put, make them first for four hours a day, then they'll get everything they need. And yeah. this is what parents need to keep hearing over and over and over again. So no, that they, we need that positive reinforcement. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Cause I, I, you know, there's, there was so much fear mongering. Like this is going to be the generation that's left behind. It's like left behind from what? Everyone's in school miserable. Everyone's coming out of colleges with student loans for 20 years, you know, like we're not, we're not serving our students in this country. Mm-hmm. So it is going to be interesting to see. And I'm not saying that either with, you know, I know this is a very layered topic and you know, there's so many variables. Um, and it would be interesting to do a podcast and pulling all of the different pieces apart, but I'm not being glib, but I just do think that there are so many beautiful things that will come from this. If we can just carry on and stay slow and stay calm and take it as it comes. I agree. What has it been looking for like for you in your work as you know, death midwife, funeral director, funeral owner, like how has that been in COVID times? Well, the mid, the midwifery part, which is, you know, offering spiritual counseling or support that happens on the phone now, which I find is just as effective. Um, and in fact, when somebody's getting close to their dying, the last thing they really want is another stranger in the room because they're so sensitive at that point. They, they pick, it up, pick up all of this energy. You have to get the timing just right. You could have shown up at two o'clock and this is when they were feeling very uncomfortable because you know they didn't have their pain medication or whatever. But this way, now it's on the phone. Um, I could say, just call me when you, when you have a space. So again, it's empowering them that they know when they need to or when they're open to or when they're feeling very stressed. So I love that part of it. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. Um, It's beautiful. We can talk for half an hour or or 10 minutes. I think this is is working to to their advantage. When they get close, you know, I can also sing. So the family will put the phone to the ear of the person who maybe has not has been non-responsive for a couple of hours or even a couple of days. And I can guide them. I can suggest to them, why don't you, you, you could possibly do this and this would be helpful to them. They put me on speaker. There's four people around the bed. These are most people on hospice at home anyway. And it's nicer for them. They don't have to feel self-conscious. And I'm all about just encouragement and empowering them to to, they're the best people to be in the room, not me. Uh, and then if they need, I can put on speaker and sing. Um, that's lovely. When it comes to the actual home funeral piece, uh, because that's the signature service that Sacred Crossings offers, um, of course, that is a little bit more limited. And yet, interestingly enough, even that too is has incredible benefits because now, the family who wants to do the home funeral, they will call me and I'll say, well, I'm, I'm more than happy 
to give you a tutorial and show you exactly everything you need to know. So they can come to me masked and I'll give them like a three hour tutorial, give them every, all the equipment that they need. Um, and then they go off and do it. And then I'm available on the phone 24 seven for support. That's worked two or three times. And then the other one is to go and show them, but I stand in the backyard six feet away. We're all masked. I have a massage table. So I'll do the demonstration there, but then I'm passing the baton to them 100%, which is what the home funeral movement's all about. It's, yeah. You do it yourself and then you'll have the experience. And very often if I'm even there somewhere hovering because I'm the so-called expert, they will look to me all the time. So as soon as you look to somebody who you think is more knowledgeable than you is better than you then you've you've put them up here and then you're you you know less and i want everybody to feel like no you you know exactly what to do you've got this so covid has made that you have to do it that way which is great so there's lots of the same thing with parents you've got this you know exactly how to do it i'm here on the phone if you need to and then even when they do call, it's just loads more of affirming that this is not brain surgery. It's your mom. You know, two hours ago, you had no problem cleaning her if she had a bowel movement and washing her body just because she's not breathing anymore. It's exactly the same as it was yesterday. Yeah. Um, because we're so far removed from death, we don't even realize that. We think the dead body is a big scary thing and now we have to behave differently around it but that's not the case and of course these are the ones who are people who are dying at home of something that's not covid related um now those who are in the hospital of course that's that's a whole different animal and i feel like mostly i'm midwifing the family through the dying process because the one who is dying again has got this if I do get the phone near their ear, that's all I'm saying. You don't, you don't, they don't need loved ones in the room. You've got this. You know, you're, you're in your car now. You know, you've been buckled in for the final roller coaster ride and you've got this. I mean, once that roller coaster starts, nobody's going to help you, right? You can't suddenly stop the roller coaster halfway and ask to readjust your seat. You're in. Nobody can help you. And people need to realize that once they're in their death, their dying hours, they're in that car. They're on their way. Nobody can help them. There's nothing to do, nothing to say. In fact, you can't really get close to them because they're already traveling. So the work for me is helping the family understand that so that they're not so wrapped with longing and feeling so badly for their loved one who's all alone in the hospital and reaffirming to them that whatever you were going to do there, you can do at home quietly you can gather four members of your family around a coffee table, put a photo and a candle right there, and you can be right there with him, even though he's four miles away in an isolation unit. So it's really been about education and um, affirming and supporting. You know, really up, uplifting is the word, not, not comfort, because when you give comfort, you kind of put a cloth around them or a, a comforter around them when you feel of being, and then you're, they're sort of smothered in a way. So I don't want to do that because this is not a comfortable thing. And you're at home and your loved ones in a hospital by themselves dying. You can't make that comfortable, but I can uplift them and inspire them and empower them to know that they can still do the work they, they know that they want to do. That's so it's so been interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been an interesting journey. It's been, I feel like I have less hands-on contact with people. Um, and I thought I would really miss that. But I know that the gifts that it's giving families is far more than me helping them. So, And I think, I mean, there's so many things you just said that I want to speak to, but the starting one, just the power of, not looking to that expert, you know, and I feel that so much as a doula where people are hiring me because they're, they feel like I'm an expert, but I'm all about, no, this is you. You're the mom. You're the one that knows you have the sole contract with your child. I'm just here to kind of assist, but how empowering that you're helping your clients through this right now 
by almost doing less, you know, so they can really embody it. And it's so powerful because I think we're not used to owning that power within ourselves that we would know what to do or we would know how to send our loved ones off, but we can because if we just show up and have an intention to show up fully and love the person that we love, that's, that's it. That's the work. Exactly. And it's the same with teaching. You, you don't need to give your power to a teacher who's got a degree and knows better. She doesn't know how to teach your child. It's the same. So I think, and that's just teaching and dying. Imagine all of the other areas, um, you know, perhaps, you know, even going as far as the doctor. What, what if you intuitively knew how to heal yourself? And as soon as you think you have to go to the doctor and let him or her tell you what to do, yeah. you're disempowered. Yeah. Uh, so, and this could be amazing thing. I think, I think it, it is. I mean, these are the beauty, the beautiful tools is where we are coming back to our self-sovereignty and also getting really fired up if and when other people are now trying to take it from us. You know, it's, it's almost like, wait, 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 wait. No, I'm not giving you that right now. You know, I, or if I have in the past, I've changed my mind and I'm coming back to my sovereignty. Yes. <laughs> but, um, the, you know, this, this sad kind of brutal part for me. And I know a couple of people that have lost ones, loved ones due to COVID or COVID plus whatever else they're dealing with. Um, and that does seem like such a hard pill to swallow is the dying alone, how we failed our elderly, you know, I mean, this can go into a big topic, but being in the nursing homes and where it's, it went rampant and, you know, so many elderly have passed and been alone without their family. How can we, how can we kind of wrap our heads around that and not just stay mired in the sadness of that? Well, that that goes back again to helping the family member, let's say the the children of the mom who, 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 who caught it and then could no longer see them because she was isolated it's dropping into that place of trust that she was really deeply and profoundly okay. Mm. That when she knew that she wasn't going to see her family again, yes, she probably went through a few hours of terror and a few, maybe even a day or so of um, real profound sadness. But after that, and it happens to everybody, you get to a place of acceptance and trusting that your loved one did get to that place because that's what dying does. It, it gradually wears away at all of those parts of the ego that wants to hold on, make a story about, feel all of those things, remorse, regret, anger, frustration. It all, it all falls off towards the end. And I think if we can only educate and empower those caregivers in those places that, and tell them the words that they need to reiterate to the, the elderly one who's dying. That's the journey of the, the family members. They have to choose, do you want to stay in anger, sadness, and regret that you couldn't be with your mom as she died? Or is the invitation is inviting you to find a way to let that go, even though it might seem impossible? There really is only those two choices. You get to live in pain or you you search for, find a practice or a way out. And, and bemoaning that it's happening is not helpful, I don't think. Yeah. Um, this could be a very British, I'm British, so it's, it's a very stiff upper lip thing. It's always, <laughs> we always, it's in our culture. And perhaps it's because there was so much, you know, suffering and that, that, you know, my father would always say, you know, take the high road, rise above it. Yeah. Those were his mantras. So we were taught as children to always look for, look for a way to feel better yeah. rather than stay down there feeling like a victim and wishing it were different. It doesn't, it, it just makes you sick. Yeah. Those feelings of, yeah. So these is that. Those are my counsels if somebody calls about that. And it has its own journey and it takes as long as it takes. Of course. And, and I'm sure people have a lot of guilt, you know, for putting their loved ones in homes. I mean, it's, it's, it's very layered, obviously, mm-hmm. that specific journey, um, especially when you can't then go to see them. 
I mean, it's interesting. I haven't shared the story with you, but two weeks after we got to Memphis, my stepfather passed and it was pretty unexpected. He had full-blown Alzheimer's, but he could have lived for 10 more years. I mean, he had a healthy, healthy body. He was skiing three years ago in Aspen. I mean, very fit his whole life and active. And um, he went for 30 days into a home to have a caregiver respite so my mom could tap out for a bit because it was, it had gotten just really, really very difficult and trying. And um, so she was going to have a break and then it was COVID. And so then when we couldn't see him and then um, the night before he died, we were talking and cause one of her friends had said, he'll, you know, he could easily leave, live another 10 years. And I said, mom, I don't think so. I really feel he's ready to go. He's, he was a mover, a shaker, always working every day of his life. So active, you know, up at 6am out the door. I was like, he doesn't want to be in this body anymore. I know, you know, I just feel it. And he died 12 hours later and you know, it could have been a very depressing story because we couldn't be with him, but it was, for me, beautiful because what it ended up looking like for him is all three of his children were there. They were in town with their spouses. They were on one side of the window on the phone talking to him and were able to, you know, be with him, share their love. And he was already very inward. He'd gone real inward since he moved in there. And then within 30 minutes, he took three deep breaths and passed. Never had a heart attack, never had any heart problems his whole life. And on the one hand, you know, there's tragedy in that. But on the other hand, he had been so stressed and restless and full of anxiety living at home because it was a house where he could just, he literally would walk the house for 20 hours a day and pulling everything out of drawers and, you know, all like very hyper and, and wound up and not happy. And then when he went into the home and it was, you know, lovely and he had good caretakers, but it was small. He had one little room. There wasn't stuff to kind of obsess about. And he, it allowed him to go inward mm. and let go. And an interesting kind of spiritual side, um, a woman shared that when it comes to Alzheimer's, just a theory that she has is it's when the soul is ready to leave, but there's emotionally something binding your physical body to earth and not letting you go. And I thought that was such a kind of a beautiful metaphor, whether it's true or resonates with people or not, just that creates that friction, you know, and it's so troubling and sad for the ones that love that person because you feel like you don't, they're not really there and you can't share with them or be in reality with them. But at the same time, it's like their soul needs to go. How can we help them? How can we emotionally be there and whatever they need to talk about, go down that road with them, you know, let them just go wild with their conversations and, you know, just always offer, what can I help you to release emotionally? What can I do to help you release whatever you need so that you can be free? And I really felt that with him. But it's, yeah. it sounds as though you did exactly, exactly what you needed to do, what he wanted. He wanted to fill you all there behind the window. And then he was, he was okay that he consciously was able to take that last breath. I'm curious where the tragedy is in this story. It sounds well, heavenly to me. Yeah. I mean, I guess just if people hearing this could, could feel it's tragic that he was in a home that he, you know, we couldn't be hugging him or holding his hand. And I wasn't there that day. That was just his three children. I'm a stepchild, but I was at home with my mom, but just, I think when we hear these stories of being in a home and during COVID and, you know, it just elicits this like not being able to physically touch the person that we love. And um, I'm sure they would have felt better if they had been hugging him in person, you know, before he, he went, but at the same time, maybe that's exactly what he needed. And that's exactly how it was supposed to go down. I believe so. Um, and I think it's much harder to leave the body when loved ones are holding on to you physically. If you, if you can imagine that, it, it sets up a conflict inside. You're ready to go. You want to take that last breath. But here are your beautiful loved ones holding your hands. And you want to hold that hand just one more second longer, but you also want to go. So that's got to be agony. 
And so it's not until the loved ones move to go to the cafeteria or go to the bathroom that the, the dying person goes, oh, finally, now I can leave. Mm. And then wow, they rush back, so oh, my God, I wasn't there for the last breath. And I'm like, no, you had to go so that he could take his last breath. And the greatest gift is that he got to see you. You were behind the window. He felt nothing but love. And yet he was all by himself so he could do it his own way on his own time. And no one was going to cling to him and cry over him and pull him back. I think it's amazing. I want to die alone. But people hear that and they go, oh, my gosh, that seems so hard. And But it's only because I witnessed so many deaths that, were a struggle because loved ones were leaning on them, clinging to them, holding their hands and sobbing that I thought, oh my gosh, that's the last thing I want. So Mm, thank you for sharing that. That's so important because I think people rack themselves with guilt, you know, and that's very possibly the exact opposite of what's needed, you know, to (laughs) tell your loved one, go into the light. And I love, you know, over and over. I remember in the trading with you, you're like, what if that's the worst nightmare for the person you're telling? What if they have horrible headaches when it comes to light? What if light, you know, affects them in this horrible negative way? They don't want to hear that. Like, why are you telling them what to do in their own death? And when, when a woman's giving birth, they give, they labor in one room and then they actually deliver. When it's time for delivery, they're taken somewhere else. So what if somebody's dying and then when it's time for them to actually be in their when they curl fetal or they close their eyes and they're never going to wake up again, that they got to do that by themselves in the delivery room because they were being delivered to the next part of their journey. And relatives were not allowed in for that because that's private. That's between him and his journey. But they all get to say all the goodbyes they need in the other room. I think that would set up for a much more um, healthy a healthy departure. Yeah. I mean, when the train leaves the station, you're, you're not allowed to cling to the window and run along the platform. <laughs> That's, it's dangerous and it's not fair seeing, wishing they weren't going. <laughs> so oh. these are my, med- when I meditate on my death, I, I think of these things and it helps me get very clear on what would feel the best to me. And, well, and you've done so much of this yeah. work, which I think, you know, when I came and did the training with you, I had a very poignant 15 months where my dad, both my beloved grandmothers and my dog all died within 15 months. So it was just, you know, I'd heard about you for years before and then all that happened. I was like, okay, universe, the time is now. (laughs) And I remember calling you, you know, to get a, a beat on if it was good timing. And you were like, yeah, this is the perfect timing because you're in it and you're still processing. And the course was really, it's such a personal thing you know, when all my friends are just people on Instagram reach out and ask me questions about it, even if you're not ever going to do death work or death doula work or anything, it's just such a personal journey to get in touch with your own mortality. And we all need that because we weren't raised, at least most of us were not raised to look at death as the blessing that it actually is. I agree. And, and we need tools. We're not taught how to die. And we do need to learn how to do it and practice it now while we're still vibrant and healthy and living great lives. If we practice these tools, when we, when we knew that we were dying, we would just reactivate them and use them on a more intensive, in a more intensive way. And they would help to help us to get into that train, buckle our seatbelt, say goodbye to our loved ones, not wish that they were here let go of attachments, stay present with what is, not wish it were different. All of those things take practice. And if you wait till the last minute, it's a lot to learn when you've only got a few, you're given a few months left. So I hope more people will see it as a, it actually um, enhances your life. Mm-hmm. It does. It, it doesn't, and it doesn't bring death any quicker. Death is, <laughs> your journey's done when it's done. Right. Um, so people get, so, I think, I mean, a little life changing. It is, yeah. It really it's is. death changing. It's death changing. But mm-hmm. I mean, the the weekends I spent with you and everyone else in the trainings, they they changed my life completely. And it's such a gift to myself because I know that I'm getting 
through this crazy portal of time, literally due to my trainings with you, because it is the, the warrior work of non-attachment. And that's what's being called up right now, you know, hour by hour. And I know, I just love you. <laughs> Thank you. you that, that's a great way to put it. The warrior, I love that. The warrior work of non-attachment. Yeah. The warrior work of non-attachment. That's what we have to get to. We're warriors and dying yeah. is labor. It's gonna, we're going to have to get our sword out to do it properly. Otherwise, we're just going to ask to be knocked out. And yeah, that's no fun. <laughs> and I think that's what's really been so hard for so many people right now that are not used to birth and death or not in these realms for you know our careers or just our lives is um, so many humans just go around their day and their life with the false notion they're in control of everything or anything. And I feel like those people are the ones that are having the, the hardest time right now because we see how false that is. And maybe this is truly part of the, the death revolution you know, maybe we're all, we'll all come out of this differently and stronger. I hope, I hope so. And I, I think it will continue until enough of us have made this shift. Mm-hmm. And so the quicker we can get it and we, and we gain our sovereignty, as you put it earlier, which I think is lovely too, and empowered ourselves and our next door neighbor um, and unhook ourselves from corporations and institutions who which have built on something that does not apply anymore in our in our time then oh i'm so excited about that possibility for us all it's exciting you're 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 amping me up now that's such a good reframe (laughs) Um, because there is so much beauty to come from it there really is um, and then what are the, just the logistics? Cause I was wondering this myself because with the COVID and I know there have been so many false numbers and, you know, I mean, I've heard so many stories. I was just in Tennessee and a friend's grandmother was in a home and they were literally paying a thousand dollars cash. If you would agree that your loved one died of COVID when they hadn't even been tested. So, I mean, just, and, and I'm not saying no inside of COVID, people definitely have. I'm just saying there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of questions. We don't mm-hmm. all have a firm grasp on, on each person's reality. But as a funeral home thing, I was curious when people are dying right now, are there different protocols? Like, can you not see the body or does everybody have to be tested? Like, what, what are the logistics right now? Or is there even a rule or do you know? Well, sadly, you know, if they know that they would were COVID diagnosed, then they are what we call double bagged and there is no viewing Mm -hmm. and we can't undo the plastic bag to show a family member anything. So unless they want the body fully embalmed, which is an expensive process and the mortician in our office will do a full embalming Mm -hmm. and they charge extra for that because of the The um, risk because of his risk and then a family can have a viewing but again it's six feet apart it's not like it was before the body doesn't even look like they were before because they've been you know embalmed so none of the people who would choose sacred crossings are calling us for that because they know that our signature service is like the complete opposite of that Um, so what we do is we take a casket to the house that most of them are cremations these days very few burials Um, but we'll take the cardboard cremation box to the house the family decorate it they might not be able to see the body but they have they can create a whole ceremony with that box in the house um, decorating it putting messages in it lining it with all kinds of items of the that is personal to them and letters and messages and they can do a whole funeral service right there in their own house or take the cardboard box to a park. There's nothing in it. And then they bring it to the crematory and we casket the body into that box and that's how they're cremated in there. So, and it can be very powerful. It's, it's, it's a symbol, but um, as, as you know, through rituals like that, they, it, the, the, the loved one is, is receiving what's happening back there in the home and the family gathered together and the family is supporting one another. Even if these are done on Zoom with the focal point being the cardboard cremation box, it's, there's lots of ways that you, we can do this. 
Um, no, and I would suggest that rather than a memorial service later, mm-hmm. because those days between the death and the funeral service are very powerful and very potent. So and powerful. People need to, yeah, they need to take that those days back and 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 have as much happen in that sacred time as possible. I think, and it, it, for everyone's sake, and that's what we did with my stepfather because the thought was to have a big memorial later on. But they, the family was like, "No, we just have to have a very small, small funeral." And it was offered for Zoom, so my husband, you know, was there in his suit watching from LA, and um, you know, it was different than it would have been, obviously, because he was such a beloved man that with a they couldn't even put it in the paper because they're like, if we, the church said, if we put it in the paper, there'll be 500 people here and we can't do that because it's COVID. So it's just interesting, but mm-hmm. it still felt closure and it still felt beautiful and it still felt intimate and very important. Mm-hmm. And it will be something everybody will remember, you know, his yeah. funeral was during COVID. So it's almost, there's something very special about that. Yeah. 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 So, I, I, there isn't, that much tragedy in this if we just start to reframe the way we're looking at it um and our bodies respond according to the way we perceive something so if you're feeling terrible all day you just have to ask yourself maybe i'm looking at it from a very negative um perspective and if i want to feel better i could just sort of begin to look at it from that other point of view mm-hmm. and then i think your whole being starts to feel different your cells behave differently when you're when you're f- emotional body is more balanced um, so true and it's not about being in denial it's just about reframing yeah that's so true so one thing i just wanted to share with everyone is you have a online training coming up which is the enter the grave which is the first step in this journey with you can you tell us a little bit about that and how people sign up are there still spaces all of that yeah, I do have a few spaces left. The whole program is The Art of Death Midwifery. I would just um, invite people to go to the website under The Art of Death Midwifery, which is under education. Um, and there I've outlined the three different classes. But the first one, Enter the Grave, is the deep personal dive into what it means to die every moment and how to prevent own dying um, on an emotional and spiritual level. So, the next level, conscious dying, is the nuts and bolts of what it is to die. And that's the doula certificate. Mm-hmm. Although I encourage anyone who wants to be a death doula to take all three classes because the last one is how to care for the body after death. And um, it, is, it, it encompasses all of it. So I do encourage people to take all three. But you can more than welcome to start with just one. And there's one in September and one in October and they're both going to be online, but if we can have a few people in by October, I would definitely like to do that. Great. And it's so, it's just like I was saying before, I use it in my work. I use it with, you know, dealing with moms that have lost babies or pregnancies. And I also use it in my daily life. It's, it's, um, like I said before, it's changed my life and I'm so grateful for you and the work you're doing. And, the work all of us are doing that are showing up consciously right now. Thank you, McLean. I really do admire what it is you're putting out there. I just love your, your little pieces on your, <laughs> on your feed. I watch everything you do. Uh, it's just so, such a joy to see your dedication, your commitment, your, your laser-like um, intention to raise the consciousness and awareness of people. So bless you for that. Thank you. You too. I love you so much. I can't wait to see you soon in person. And love um, you too. Sending you much love always. Thank you. 